This episode is brought to you by Twizzlers. Long day, late night, feeling a little bored. Twizzlers is the ultimate sidekick for any moment of the day, no matter what kind of day you're having. The perfect level of sweet and a fun excuse to sit back and relax. Unwind with Twizzlers. To buy now, visit Hersheyland.com slash Twizzlers. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain. Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes. Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery. Well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the BBC Good Food podcast with me, Miriam Nice. In this episode, I'm speaking to my friend, restaurateur Hani Boija of Gunpowder about his favourite dish, Bangan Bata. Born and raised in Kolkata, Hani grew up surrounded by the flavours and aromas of his family's cooking and the city's street food. Hani and his wife Davina moved to London in 2014 and were captivated by the city and its vibrant and diverse restaurant scene. Hani wanted to bring the food of his youth to London, so together they set about collecting generation-old family recipes and along with the help of head chef Nirmal Salve, brought those dishes to their first restaurant, Gunpowder Spitalfields. Welcome to the podcast, Hani. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Super nervous and excited all at the same time. Oh, it's going to be great. So I just gave a very potted history of your career. Well, tell us more in your own words how you got into cooking and how it's led you to where you are now. Oh, that's a that's a tough one. <laughs> There's a short version and a long version. Oh, give us the long version. <laughs> I was born on the 22nd of July. <laughs> I'm going uh, to keep this short. I think... Food was a big part of growing up, like in most households. But I grew up in a big house in in the sense that we were 14 people that lived together. All my dad's brothers lived together. They had their families. Um, Mealtimes were, especially dinners, were a big deal. You'd have, uh, you know, our table was only 12 people big. But so the kids ate first and then the parents ate. And uh, So we were four kids at that point of time. And I remember it being such a um, such a fun thing, but also such a tedious thing for our parents because they had to feed us so that we yeah. could get done and they could eat. Yeah. So because it was so many people and 
such a lot of food had to be cooked. It wasn't like you were getting 20 drumsticks to eat or some stuff like that. You literally had a whole chicken that was broken down and, you know, you had to eat different pieces of it. We always ate chicken on the bone. So I remember quite distinctly fighting for the pieces that I want. And Did you get them? Yeah, I was I was bigger, so yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it did help. But desserts uh, were were especially good for me. I I have a big sweet tooth, and uh, surprisingly, mango season was my favorite. Like you'd like to think cooked desserts were better, but when we just got fresh mangoes from um, in and around Bengal, and we wouldn't chop them up into pieces; they'd be sliced into what we call fadis, but basically it's the mango gets cut into three large pieces, two sides in the middle, uh, what we call the seed, we call it gitak. And uh, you basically, obviously there was more meat on the sides, on the cheeks, but you always wanted to eat the seed with the meat around it because it was messy and you got to be messy. And uh, I think very quickly we got thrown off the table and onto the floor for, for fruit season. Always. <laughs> so I think food memories have been good. Um, my mom's a fantastic cook, but my dad is the one that really likes to cook. Okay. So my mom would make sure that we're always fed, uh, there was good food, uh, but my dad was the one that pushed the envelope, took us to places, Chinatown. You know that Calcutta where I grew has the only Chinatown in India? India literally is as big as Europe and there's only one Chinatown wow. across the country. Uh, I was lucky enough to grow in that, grow up in that city. So he's made us try food from all sorts of various places and uh, cuisines. Uh, but I think going back to your question, it's it's him who pushed us to, to do food, to, to learn food, to learn how to eat food. That's where we learned how to cook food from. Because you wanted to eat good food and you wanted to eat big flavors, it meant that sometimes you've got to go fix that sandwich with a little extra ingredient or, you know, you got to toast it slightly further, you got to butter it well. Those basics came from my dad. The recipes all came from my mom because she got it from her mother and uh, my dad's mother. Ooh, my dad's mother passed away last year, but she made the best sag mutton, which is spinach, but uh, goat meat slow cooked in spinach. Oh, she had magic in her hands when it came to that dish. That I cannot tell you. How I think good I it was. read you. Uh, I read an article you talking about that, and I think you're saying that there was a special like stick that you yeah. used to. I, you know, now um, you get all these. You get all these pretty cool pieces of equipment where things become easier and obviously we're cooking in the restaurant at a larger scale so you have to use it for consistency but of when they cooked it at home if you cooked spinach down at home you cooked sag sarsoka sag what we call I mean seek so it's uh, something that comes from the north but when it was cooked in a house it took a whole day to cook a whole day and she cooked it can you imagine having to cook one dish the whole day. And that's not the only dish you're cooking. you wow. got to cook for 14 people, fussy 14 people <laughs> who are going to eat. So I think that's how we 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 learned to appreciate food. Yeah. And that's where cooking came from, actually, to, fi to figuring out what makes it that extra special. 
I wish I had a better story, but no, I mean, it's good. <laughs> I, I did end up working in a in a hotel in a kitchen through college because I I knew I I wanted I wanted to be in hospitality. I just didn't know how. I, I was eighteen. Uh, I wanted to go out have fun, but I know I wanted to do this, and so when I saw the professional side, it inspired you that it could be done, but it also kind of sometimes takes away the the romanticism from it. But uh, I'm still grateful. My parents, when when we visit, when they visit, it's a it's a lot of fun. Eat. Our whole trip is centered around eating out. All we want to do is find where to go eat in London next. Sounds good. Um, if I'm being nosy, I mean, 14, how practically did that work? Because if I have people around for dinner and there's like six of us, it ends up in kind of elbows and chaos quite yes. quickly. So 14. So uh, it was a reasonably big house. Yeah. Um, but like I said, we ate in stages. Okay. It was the kids first, then the adults. And it worked well. We we were lucky and privileged enough to have help, uh, as most people do, in and around India. And uh, it seemed like a really big event. Because imagine my mum or, or my aunt, you had to feed your kids, you had to bathe them, you had to put them to sleep, and then you had to eat on your own. Yeah. And it was probably quite late for them. Yeah. But I think they soldiered on, so... If if any of them are listening, thank you. Oh, <laughs> what did your mum and dad think of each other's style of cooking? Because it sounds like they were quite different. Well, so they're very, very different. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, Devina and I, my wife and I, have, have a similar kind of outlook. She's just like my mum was. She's digital. She's a digital cook. She'll follow the recipe. There'll be a recipe. You do it. It's done. My dad and me are both analog cooks which means that you got to taste, you got to try. Yeah. It's not always that the same dish comes out tasting the same way, but um, it's more fun cooking this way. I had a really tough time when we were discussing recipes, or I do generally have a really tough time putting them into measures. Okay. I have the oddest measures. What do you mean oddest? <laughs> um, a fistful, a handful, <laughs> it changes color, you stop then... So it's it's not the it's not the get two onions, get five uh, tomatoes. It doesn't generally work like that in my head. Well, that's what I mean. That's what I, and also onions aren't always the same size, or you know, I think there's, there's yes. some logic there. Yes, I, I thank you for saying <laughs> that. <laughs> I sound so much smarter now. <laughs> uh, so was eating together like quite important? Like, did you try and eat together as much as you could? I think dinners were always together. Yeah. Um, a Friday or a Saturday would be when my parents would go out generally. But even then, the children ate together. With, the, with My grandparents were also in the same household. So it was important and it was what marked the culmination of the day. Uh, you spoke about what your day was like. You sorted out your fights with your siblings. <laughs> uh, you did all of that on the dinner table. Um, and you ate good food. I really, really appreciate, talking to you, all I can do is appreciate that I don't think I've been able to give my kids the same kind of deliciousness that I got. Oh, that's nice. Okay, so this is the Favourite Recipes podcast. So what have you chosen as your favourite dish and why is it special? Bengan ka bharta, which, is, which basically loosely translates into aubergine smashed, literally. Great. Okay. Sorry for saying it like this. Nobody makes this dish like the Boagers. I know I'm talking about my family in third person, but <laughs> we are that good when it comes to this. The reason being that my parents and their parents, we've, we haven't messed this up. 
we've kept it simple, the steps are simple, and it's the same every time. It's not too many ingredients. You can eat this dish anytime. It's comforting and you can eat it with any kind of carb. Tell us what's in it and tell us what kind of, when you first tried it, maybe when you first had it. Oh, I was fussy. Really? As as a kid, you don't really want to eat vegetables, right? My favorite meal was a protein. And um, I eat a lot of fish now. I never liked fish growing up as a kid. It's so surprising. For me, it was uh, mutton or chicken. Those are the two big proteins that we ate at home. Yeah. And um, I particularly like both of them in gravy formats, but separate gravy. Um, the mutton recipe that I really like is kosha mangsho, which is from Bengal. Kosha means to cook hard uh, or cook for a longer period of time. It's mostly an onion-based recipe. And then uh, the gravy chicken is a tomato onion recipe. So um, those were my two favorite uh, proteins growing up. So aubergine was not on the top of my list. I know I'm trying to sell it to everyone now, but at that point of time, it wasn't on the top of my list. I struggled with it initially, but I think I fell in love with it when I ate it with red split lentils, which comes out yellow in color, a paratha, and uh, the bengan kabhata. So the aubergine, the lentils, and bread. And I... I have a clear, I, I can't time frame it. It was in the afternoon eating it on the dining table. That's when I fell in love with it. I can clearly remember that. And everything else is kind of fuzzy about how old I was or who cooked it that day. Or, But I remember clearly falling in love with it. I was like, why haven't I liked this before? Why have I avoided this all this time? And I think from then on, it's a dish I request. Yeah. If I've been told I have to eat vegetables, it's a dish I request. <laughs> really, it, you you can't go wrong with it. It's got it's simple. It's got aubergines, tomatoes, onions. It's hardly got any spicing in it. It's all about the smokiness uh, and the textures and the sweetness and the and the savoriness. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's really it's really good. I made it. I made some yesterday. It's it's so did, nice. did you bring some back for I us? know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad. <laughs> that, I, I, actually, that's a good thing. That means that um, you like it. And yeah. At least I've got one other person that believes me. Defo. Um, there's a mention, you sent me the recipe and you said, don't use a blender to make it. So it's an aubergine that you cook on an open flame if you can. Yes. And then you, you said sort of to pull it with a fork or something. Yes. You don't use a blender. Why no. do you Because that? the texture goes for a toss. When yeah. you use a blender, you're trying to shortcut it. Remember I told you the reason the Boagers cook it the best is because you take no shortcuts. Yeah. And this is that big life lesson moment. There are no shortcuts. In cooking, there are no shortcuts. I've never eaten a dish that has tasted better because it's made by skipping steps. Never. And that's an absolute truth. There are different dishes that are nice, that yeah. they're not bad and they're good, but you, you cannot recreate the same thing by skipping steps. Over here, you, you, you cook it on an open flame so that you want the smokiness. Remember the aubergine being quite meaty and um, especially larger aubergines, which is what you should use in this case, not yeah. the smaller ones. It takes a little bit to, for the flavor to permeate. So on a slow fa- flame, if you kind of char the skin outside and you do it, it also... Um, Helps in another thing. Uh, scientifically, what you other than smoking the aubergine itself and imparting the flavor. 
This episode is brought to you by Twizzlers. Long day, late night, feeling a little bored. Twizzlers is the ultimate sidekick for any moment of the day, no matter what kind of day you're having. The perfect level of sweet and a fun excuse to sit back and relax. Unwind with Twizzlers. To buy now, visit hersheyland.com slash Twizzlers. If you don't wash your vegetable properly, or if the vegetable has an insect in it or a bug in it, this is an easier way to get rid of it and still maintain the sanctity of the vegetable and be able to use it. If you chopped it up and put it in the blender, you wouldn't know what you were really eating. And you'd have to really cook it down in case something was wrong with the vegetable. In this case, you're not. Yeah. And you you take the skin off once it's charred. Uh, and you're doing this with the fork, you're not going to be able to take it all off. There are going to be bits inside. That's the good part. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And then when you smash it or you mash it or you pick on it with your fork and you try and... Some of the aubergine is still left intact, which gives you the meatiness of the aubergine. You're not suddenly eating baba ganoush. No. It's so different from that. I, I, I want to emphasize this is not a dip. This is a main. This is the main course. This is the star, and uh, it allows the aubergine to transform, but hold herself in the same light in which she was grown. Uh, I I think, uh, and that's so important because you're going to add two extra ingredients in it: the onions and then the tomatoes. Yeah, mm, and you chop a red onion, preferred uh, a couple of small red onions uh, and tomatoes. Uh, you take two to three, depending on size. Uh, you first put the onions, let them brown, not brown, let them turn translucent. You don't want to, okay, going back to why you shouldn't skip steps. If you if you put the flame really high and you cook the onions, they will taste completely different. They fry or they, they char. You don't want that. You want the onion to hold. This is a dish that transforms every ingredient but allows them to hold some of its original form. Yeah. yeah. So the onion doesn't taste like mush. It doesn't taste sweet. It, it tastes sweet because it's an onion, but it doesn't taste like that caramelized sweetness. Yeah, it's not sort of sticky, but it's yeah. definitely there, like, yeah. and it adds that structure. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. And and then the tomato gives it a little bit of volume and the acidity that is required to balance two things that are reasonably sweet, onions and Aubergines. Uh, the tomato is also sweet, but there is a sense of acidity in it that ties it together. And salt and a little bit of digi mirch or red, red um, powdered red, red mirchi that you could put in. Uh, very little because you don't really want the heat. You want the savoriness from the salt and the red chili powder. Yeah. And it's a Kashmiri chili powder. Yes. Yeah. I always recommend that because firstly, the quality of the ingredient is much higher. At home, we dry our own chili. And we powder it or piso means we kind of grind it down ourselves. In my house, there still is a stone grinder. Yeah. And not the ones where you have with the pestle and mortar, a one that looks like a tombstone and you got a big piece of rock on it and you go (laughs) back and forth making it a paste or making it dry. You want the color from this. You want to dress the aubergine. The tomato and the red chili powder does help with this. And you want it to become savory rather than be sweet. You want it to hold texture, different textures, aubergine, onions, tomatoes, because you want it to be a main course. Yeah. 
growing up, even though I ate a lot of protein, I could eat the bengan ka bharta, the aubergine, as a protein, in place of a protein, as a dish. That I, I literally think if I just got that with a piece of bread or with rice, I would be fine. And I do that. When this dish is left cold, I put it in a sandwich. I was going to ask you, because I've got, I ate most of it, I've got a little bit left, left. over, and I'm like, oh, what can I do? <laughs> what I've got left over, please. <laughs> so when you do a sandwich, you got to... Uh, we used to have this in India and we have this here now. We used to call it stapler. It sounds <laughs> terrible, but you staple the breads together. It's the sandwich maker, which... Oh, like ma- a press. Yes. Like a, yeah. And it kind of uh, seals the crust. Yeah. Don't use mayo on the outside of the bread because someone's told you it's a cheat and the crust becomes good. Use butter. <laughs> you got to use butter. And why do you use salted butter? Again, it adds to the savouriness because bread is actually dessert. It's sweet. The regular you bread you buy has has a pinch of sugar in it, Has a, a, tends to have sweetness in it. And you need that butter to compensate it. If you do it with mayo, it, it gives it a crispiness, but it doesn't add to the... It doesn't add to the flavor. And you want to eat this. You want to put the aubergine in cold between two slices of bread, slather both the wrong ends with butter, and you need to press it down in what I call a stapler and you call a sandwich press. (laughs) I'm going to call it a stapler now, (laughs) definitely. (laughs) It is a sandwich stapler because it seals the ends, right? (laughs) And you know why this is better? Because you get more flavor with less stuff put in. It carries the flavor too because you've sealed the ends yeah. and you've only got, in this case, the, the aubergine meat in the middle. So when you bite it, you get the crispiness, the saltiness, the savoriness, the sweetness, all. So imagine if you don't have enough left or while you're making it, you put your finger in and you've, you, you eat some extra bits. This will help carry the flavor, I promise. I'm getting so emotional about this. I shouldn't be on podcasts about <laughs> dishes I like. Oh, I am, my stomach is rumbling. Hopefully that is not picked up on the microphone. <laughs> That's it. I'm sure That's everyone's a good is. Thing. That's a good thing. It getting picked up. You said, um, we asked you like in the email before, we were just asking if there's any misconceptions. And I think one of the things you said was about adding different spices. This is really super simple, deliberately. Yes. So... Um, Lots of Indian restaurants, lots of uh, curry houses across the UK and India would do it, but they really mess it up. I want to use another term, <laughs> but they mess it up. They mess it up because they try and make it something it's not. Okay. You love your wife because of who she is. You don't need her to be dolled up for you to think she's beautiful. She's beautiful. The dish is beautiful. You don't need to add garam masala, dhania, which is coriander. You don't need to do that rubbish. She is beautiful. There is no doubt about it. And it's not only everybody else's responsibility. Even me, when we sometimes try and go the extra mile to wow the customers. And what people end up doing is trying to cover up the flavors with, with other spices and it doesn't work. Also, another reason people do it is when they don't make it as well as the Boeijas and they skip the other steps. They just add a whole bunch of spices to <laughs> make it feel like it's better than it is. Just cook it slowly, nicely, yeah. carefully. Good with, ingredients. With love. Yeah. Nice. Um, speaking about your family, so uh, do you typically eat like a Sunday lunch or something on the weekend? Yes. And uh, it has taken us a few years, but our last couple of decades trend is 
that we're going to do a family meal where we do slow cooked mutton, the kosha mangsho I told you. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing like it. When you cook mutton for six, seven hours and you slow cook it and you cook the onions for a couple of hours first, just the amount of effort you put in makes you fall in love with that dish even more. And we eat it with puris, which is the puffed bread that you fry. And potatoes, aloo dum, which is uh, potatoes, not with a lot of gravy, with actually very little masala around it. And at home, we do the mutton with the onion, with the onion sauce or the onion base, and the potato with the tomato one. So when you eat it all together, there is balance. Yeah. I cannot uh, harp on this enough. You cannot expect one dish to give you everything. I think that's where people go wrong with food from India. The different dishes are meant to give you different things. You can't expect everything from a bowl of spaghetti. You can expect love and a little bit of acidity and warmth. But you can't expect what you would get with uh, a stew coming from a bowl of spaghetti. And it's the same thing. You've got to be more measured with your approach. If you want to eat different flavors, you add different dishes, which is why people from the subcontinent or people from Asia generally eat food that can looks like a big feast all the time. Yeah, there's a specialness to that as well because then you can have like, like you're saying about spaghetti, like if you have a nice, you know, some nice bread and some olives and some like fresh salad or just simple sliced tomato, whatever, you can make this beautiful celebration of that spaghetti by having all these other things on the side. And I think it's the same with this dish. You're absolutely right. I don't think I could have said it any better. You're spot on. And we need to do this because it preserves recipe. It preserves food memories. And in India, we don't have an escoffier. Like the French cuisine has an escoffier. You, you kind of note everything down. In India, it's so big and so varied and everyone has such a different version. And we've had such a storied history that... It's not there. So the way to preserve it is to eat it the way it's meant to be eaten. Of course, everyone will have an ingredient less, an ingredient more, way how to do it. But if you keep it as is, or if you enjoy it how it's meant to be enjoyed, you're making history. Great. Ah, oh, it's been so nice to talk about your favorite dish. I've got some quick fire questions now, if that's all right, if you're ready. <laughs> Let's do this. Okay. So what is your most well-thumbed cookery book? This is a pretty good one. Nadine Redzepi, she has a cookbook that's been out for a few years, and we love it. It's our cookbook with the most number of stains in it, with, uh, uh, where pages are puffed up because there's water fallen on it or wine fallen on it. And uh, it's the cookbook that we use the most because it's not the food we grew up with. Okay. And she's got such a good way about her I love 80% of the dishes, 20% of the dishes go over my head because it's not, I haven't been culturally exposed to them enough. But I want to cook from that, six recipes from that cookbook are staples in our home. Which, can you give me one or two? Of course. There is a warm potato salad yeah. that she does. It is to die for. Um, my wife adds uh, gherkins to it and uh, a couple of more pickles and it's insane. It, it's it's ours now. I'm going to claim it for her. <laughs> uh, the codfish recipe, she teaches you how to make crisps from scratch with other than potatoes. And it's wonderful. Everyone should know how to do this. 
everyone should know how to make her meat sauce. Everyone should know how to make the salmon and cucumber dip. These are things you must teach your kids. Your kids go away to college. You've got to tool them with something, right? Great. They, What's it called? Which one's it called? It's called Downtime by Nadine Redzepi. Great. And what music do you cook to? That's a tricky one. <laughs> Quick fire. Okay. Fair. <laughs> uh, for me, Hans Zimmer or Punjabi folk music. Fabulous. Uh, a great cheap eats restaurant that you'd like to name, maybe. Okay. Roti King. Great. Oh, yeah. My, yeah, my favorite. Yeah. Um, something that's always in your fridge. Ketchup. Sorry for saying that. <laughs> no. You're not supposed to put ketchup in your fridge, but I'm I'm Indian. I do it. I cannot I help it. I keep it in the fridge. Yeah. Keep it. I keep it. I always keep it in the oh, fridge. Sorry. I like you already. <laughs> uh, and now onto some foodie confessions. Also pretty quick fire. But um, what's your biggest cooking disaster? Trying to make a meal for fourteen people that were visiting our house in London and not having enough ingredients. It was an absolute disaster. I tried to oh, cross. No. I tried to cross-contaminate because I don't have another better term for it, but it was an absolute disaster. My wife did come in, save the day with a lovely dal and some rice and a vegetable, but it was an absolute disaster. Did you just try my... to do too much? Or... I think so. Oh, no. I, I think I tried. I thought, um, I thought, oh, my God, I... I I work in a restaurant, I can cook, and you know, it's just 14 people. I cook for more than 200 people every night, and it was an absolute No, disaster. but it's different because it's all the, the prep you would have done a different, you know, in a restaurant you do a different time. And also, for me, it's like, the you know, it's having someone to wash up as you go or help you. Like, if there's no KP and there's no prep, like, there's no, you're just doing it. It just takes way longer. I think it was the day I realized, you're absolutely right, I realized I'm not Superman. <laughs> Um, a food you've never tried? Nigerian food. Okay. But I've been wanting to. I've seen a couple of restaurants uh, in and around my neighbourhood and I want to try it now. And your guilty pleasure? A nice cup of tea. But the pleasure isn't only the tea, it's a croissant that goes with the tea. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it it's such a thing because it gives you that 20 minutes of peace to collect your thoughts, to not care about anything and just concentrate and why the flaky bits of the croissant are falling into my cup of tea while I'm dipping it in it. Because I, I tend to have cooked down tea, which is an Indian version. What people refer, So what people refer to as masala chai, for me, is without masala. I don't put any... The only ingredient that we'd put in is I, either ginger or cardamom, never together. Okay. And no other spices. And you just cook it, cook it down. Uh, you get this light tea that is warm but cools you down and makes you feel like the world's okay. I mean, that sounds wonderful. And the last question, what makes you optimistic for the future, Anit? My kids. For the moment, my kids. I can't tell you, fighting with them brings me so much pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Seeing them laugh is a completely different ballgame. Um I think they make you realize that um, everything will be okay and everything is okay. And when you're gone, they're going to be here and they will be okay and it'll be fine. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you. It's yeah. a really emotional episode. I absolutely uh, loved it. Thank uh, you. Thank you. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. And I can't wait for you to share with everyone your recipe for Benga Bato. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening and don't forget you can listen to that bonus episode um, and you can cook along to it. So for more details, see bbcgoodfood.com forward slash podcast. See you next time. Bye bye.